some questions. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Um, I'm playing with the hot children with Batman and the ship. Are you having fun? Yep. So tell me, what's your name? Theo. And who's your parents? Um, Jenna and Mommy and uh, Jenna and Tim. Right. Um, where do you go to school? And who's your teacher? Miss um, Hogan. Miss Hogan. But not Miss McLean anymore. Ah, okay, you changed teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, do you know about love? Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, I love Mason. You do? Is yep. he your best friend? Yep, he's my best friend. And how do you show love to people? Um, being nice. Being nice, okay. How else do you show love? Um, Having, um, having hugs. Having hugs. That's a good way of showing love. And why do I love you? Because you're my grandson. What? Because <laughs> I'm actually your grandson. You're actually my grandson, and I am? Your opa. That's right. All right, you want to say bye to the people on the video? Bye. <laughs>
She's a little tank, which is nice because she's starting to hold her own. No matter what we say to him about how she didn't mean to and we're trying to help him and he's got to learn to share and be patient, we even praise him when he's gentle and kind, it just doesn't fully sink in. He wants justice, but his understanding of that is so limited. He pushes her all day, but if she accidentally pushes him once, he's all up in arms. It's funny, right? Irritating is more like it. But have you ever felt like Henry, quick to react, slow to forgive? I think we're all a little like aggressive toddlers sometimes. Maybe not physically. Maybe it's been a while since you've bitten someone or tried to take their toy and got all upset. But man, we do that emotionally. We hang on to things. We complain that things aren't fair. We count up people's sins against them and keep a ledger of what they're doing wrong. We expect justice to prevail on our behalves, but not necessarily the other way around. And maybe you be, you've become isolated in bitterness, throwing silent tantrums in the air. Maybe a relationship with a parent is strained. Or you and your spouse are having trouble getting along. If you've resonated with at least one of these predicaments, maybe you're wondering, well, what on earth do I do about it? Thankfully, the word of God tells us that we aren't alone in this struggle. Unforgiveness has plagued humanity since the beginning of time. In the Gospel of Matthew, where we find we've been spending our time in the short story series, Jesus talks about forgiveness often. In today's parable, we find Peter asking Jesus, how many times should he forgive someone who sinned against him? Seven times? Jesus takes this opportunity to set a new mark, one that is rooted in love, and says not seven times, but 77. And then he tells this story that we find in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered that he would be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and a payment be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him and said, have patience with me and I will pay back everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of the fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him by the throat. And he said, pay what you owe. Then the this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the last debt. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave all, that your, all of your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's take some time in breaking down this passage. Before the story even begins, we have Peter genuinely wondering, how many times are we expected to forgive? And although his answer sounds laughable to us now, back then it would have been considered generous. Jewish customs assumed that one must forgive about three times. And yet Peter suggested something more radical in questioning, is it seven times? This is when Jesus takes the time to really instruct his disciples about what it looks like to be a child of God, what it looks like to have a kingdom mentality. When Jesus responds with not seven times, but 77 times, he isn't being literal. He's playing off the human game that Peter is unintentionally playing, one that all of us are probably guilty of. 
We want to know the exact right and wrong answer. We want to follow the rules and the social norms, and then we think we will win. We create ledgers for ourselves and others, even if in our own marriages, it's hard not to keep a record of wrongs. Not to have a back pocket full of, remember when you did this, and remember when you hurt me in this way? And yet the Bible says, if we love God and love is truly our motive, we must never keep a record of wrongs. Whether in our marriage relationships or with a stranger on the street, so Jesus is using this opportunity to say, listen, there really isn't a number. You must forgive as you have been forgiven over and over. You must have the heart of God and choose compassion, love, and forgiveness in the same way that I have radically loved you. This isn't about numbers. This isn't about ledgers. It's about the grace of God. I really like the way commentator Eric Barreto talks about this. He says, but Jesus, as often as he does, poses a radical suggestion. Not seven, but 77 times are we to forgive. Of course, what Jesus is suggesting is not a larger ledger upon which we keep track of offenses. He's not merely requiring an additional number of gracious acts. Instead, he is suggesting there is no need for a ledger whatsoever. Forgiveness is a deep reservoir of grace that ought never run dry. So even before Jesus starts the story, he's setting up the disciples to be thinking about God's radical grace and what their response should be after receiving it themselves. At the beginning of the parable, we find the king settling the account of a servant who owed him a lot of money. Just to put it in perspective for us, when, this, when it says a servant owed 10,000 talents of silver, what it was really saying in terms we can understand is that it would take 60,000 years to pay off this debt. One talent is about six years worth of income, and he owed 10,000 of those. On the flip side, the hundred denarii that the other servant owed would have been about four months of wages total. I really like reading about this debt in terms of time and not just currency, because I think it emphasizes the ridiculousness of the situation in a new way. But for those of you who prefer numbers, the equivalent of 10,000 talents of currency in Jesus' day would be about $3.48 billion today. Needless to say, this was an insane amount of money that the unforgiving servant owed the king. And using such an intense and exaggerated example, Jesus sets us up to be in a position to feel the overwhelmingness and impossibility of the situation the servant finds himself in. Here, Jesus is trying to get the disciples to make the comparison to themselves and their own story of sin and brokenness and their need for God. He's trying to get them to see the weight of their sin, the debt that they owe. Like the wicked servant, these disciples, all of humankind, owe at least $3.48 billion worth of transgressions and sins against God. Every single one of us is in the same position as the unforgiving servant. He wants us to ask ourselves, do I feel the weight of my own sin enough to know the generosity of what my king did for me? Am I aware that I have been racking up debt since the day I was born and that all the millions of sinful moments that followed have continued to separate me from a life of true freedom in God? Moving further along, Jesus explains that after the servant begged, saying he just needed more time and he would eventually pay everything off, which they both knew was impossible, as we just established, something the king, somehow the king had pity on him. And the king didn't just give him more time. The king forgave his debt. We just need to sit back and take that in. <laughs> Ray Stedman says it like this, the king's heart is moved by the man's impossible situation and out of pity toward him, he forgives him at a staggering cost to himself. It, it means of course that the king assumed the debt himself, allowing it to go unpaid and thus impoverishing his treasury. This is no trifling matter. It was at a staggering cost to himself 
that the king forgave the debt. The implied conclusion of the king taking on all of this debt is that he was simultaneously granting freedom to his servant and his entire family. That is unheard of. The kind of generosity and forgiveness and grace and mercy is unheard of, and yet the king does just that. He forgives and he grants a fresh start, a reset. But the story isn't over. This servant, who should have been just floating on clouds, whistling on his walk home to tell his family, it really should have been a run home to tell them the good news. He should have been hugging every person he saw. We couldn't do that right now in COVID, but you know what I mean. Hugging them, buying a celebration cake, celebrating with neighbors. But instead, this servant, this unforgiving, cruel, prideful servant, took the power and access to freedom that he was given, and he used it for evil. He saw the other servant that owed him practically nothing and wrung his neck. He threatened him. He threw him in jail until he could pay back every last penny. And after all is said and done, the king throws the unforgiving servant back in jail and lets him experience the consequences to his actions. Now, we don't know why the servant did this. What on earth was he thinking that he could ever be so heartless after he was given so much? But I think it was all about pride. Maybe he was embarrassed about being caught by the king and being confronted with his sin. Maybe the gift felt too extravagant and the reality hadn't settled into his heart long enough to change it. Whatever his state of mind and heart was, we know this, it did not imitate that of the king's generous heart. Even after being shown so much mercy, his hard heart refused to be transformed by the king's kindness. He didn't take the reset, the fresh start. He continued living out of his unhealthy behaviors of bitterness and anger and pride. He continued living in darkness as if he had never been given anything at all. After reading this story again and again over the past couple of weeks, here's what I know to be true. I am the villain in this story. I'm the bad guy and so are you. I think it's so easy, even when the moral of the story is right in our face, for us to read this passage and immediately think of ourselves as the other servant. Sure, we've done some things wrong. Sure, we've lied and cheated and lusted and dishonored and stolen and envied. But I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. I think we comfortably cast ourselves as the in-between character because we actually believe we are. We know we aren't God, obviously. But surely we aren't the wicked, unforgiving servant. Here's the hard truth of the message. We are. We're the villain in the story, and God is the hero. The other servant, he's just a side story there to support the main focus. We have to stop comparing our sins and shortcomings to others' sins and shortcomings, to what they have done against us. What we should be comparing is our sin to God's sin. And reality check, he hasn't sinned. He's perfect. So what this story forces us to consider for maybe the first time is that we are the ones who have racked up the insane amount of debt against God. We are the ones who need to be forgiven much. We are the ones that must then choose to imitate God and also forgive others when they have sinned against us. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's our duty to be the forgivers in this scenario. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Better yet, forgive extravagantly as you have been forgiven extravagantly. We can choose the reset, the fresh start, and live in the freedom of God. Or we can be shackled by the chains of sin and the weight of those consequences. We can either receive benefits of forgiving others or we can continue to live resentful, fearful, and prideful lives separated from the love and peace that we are offered in Christ. 
Forgive as you have been forgiven. I know a lot of you are feeling really worn down right now. The pandemic is wearing on you. You hoped 2021 would look a lot different, and so far, you're receiving what feels like just another unfair dose of anxiety. You're exhausted, you're heartbroken, and honestly, you feel like you, no one is meeting your needs. Well, I feel the same way. This has been an extremely tough year, and to be honest, I haven't felt like I could trust many people with my burdens, and yet, I felt that I had to carry so much for others. You're starting to get bitter about giving so much of the little you feel like you have left to others without the same compensation in return. And maybe all of that's led to not thinking of one individual person that you have to forgive, but you have this overarching anger and bitterness rising in your heart in relation to everyone that you come across. Maybe an actual person came to your mind when you heard the word forgiveness today. Maybe you have held on to things for way too long and it's time to let go. Maybe it's a group of of people that you're harboring unspoken negativity towards. They've offended you in some way. In all of these situations, God commands us to forgive as we have been forgiven. It's constantly putting back into perspective that we are the bad guys and that God is the hero. It's reminding ourselves what we are saved from and extending that same relief to others. Forgiving isn't just about the big things. It's about the little things too. It's breathing in the peace of Christ every morning and breathing out the peace of Christ in our daily walks with him. Instead of jumping to conclusions, we forgive. Instead of gossiping, we forgive. Instead of secretly hoping for someone to fail, we forgive. Instead of complaining when there's somebody, something doesn't meet our expectations, our preferences, we forgive. And instead of keeping a ledger of wrongs, we breathe out forgiveness from a place of forgiveness. We forgive, we forgive, we forgive. And those simple and big decisions to choose forgiveness will make us more like Jesus. It will alter our minds to be more like him. It's simple, but man, it's hard. Retraining our hearts and minds is not easy. It takes effort and intentionality. It's being aware of parts of you that have not surrendered to God. It takes repentance and grit. Forgiveness is a choice we have to make over and over again for the rest of our lives. It's not easy, but it's worth it because instead of rotting in resentment, we will be flying in freedom. Our relationships will improve. Our mental health will improve. Our witness to the world will improve. Our families will benefit. Our neighbors will benefit. Our communities will benefit when we forgive as we have been forgiven. So my challenge to you today is this. Who came to mind when you first heard the word forgiveness today? I can guarantee that every person watching today, including myself, had someone or a few people, maybe a group of people, or a set of circumstances pop into your head. So who was it? Who do you need to forgive? What have you been holding on to? Spend some time today thinking about that person and that situation and ask God to help you forgive them. Pray and put it in God's hands. Something as simple as, I forgive blank for hurting me. Lord, help me to keep releasing this to you. Help me to take captive any negative thoughts I have about this person and make those thoughts obedient to you. Help me truly abandon my bitterness and love this person. And most of all, help me remember my own depravity, my own debt that you graciously and extravagantly paid on my behalf. Fill me with humility and dependence on you, my perfect father. I don't know if you know what it's like having financial debt. In full transparency, I can speak from experience that that's part of Justin and my story. 
We still have some student loan debt left, but we're working hard on our debt-free journey together with God's help. If someone had come up to us, especially a few years ago, and, and thought in their heads, you know, I know these guys have dug themselves into a hole, but I want to be a part of their new story. I'm going to play an active role in them being able to hit the reset button to their finances. I'm going to forgive their debt by paying it all myself. If that happened, I'm just saying, there would be tears of joy on our parts. I know that much. I mean, just imagine this scenario. Just picture it. If you've ever had debt, you know the feeling. It's like drowning. It's like you're in bondage over your circumstances. And I know firsthand that debt can lead you to near breakdowns and overwhelming feelings of hopelessness and defeat. But now imagine for a minute that someone comes along and takes on that debt. The hopelessness turns to hope. Imagine that weight being lifted off of your shoulders, the celebration that occurs after, and then the almost heavenly awareness of your new mission. You know the next step, what your responsibility is, and that's to make sure others know that they can be free as well. It sounds too good to be true, right? Only in fairy tales would someone pay off all of your debt like that. Well, God has, and he wants to do that for all of his children, not just for you and not just for me. So what is our response to this story? It isn't just responding to a commandment that we must forgive. It's more than that. Out of the abundance of our salvation, what God has saved us from, why on earth would we not want that same freedom, that same fresh start for everyone around us? It's not about obligation anymore. It's about being compelled. I can't help but forgive because of what God forgave in me. Until you come to terms with the fact that you are the bad guy in this story, that I am the bad guy in this story, your heart will not be able to fully understand the depth of Christ's gift for you. And in turn, your spirit won't be able to accomplish the act of forgiving others to the capacity God longs for us to experience. His mercies are new every morning. But when we choose to follow Jesus, that means our mercies need to be new every morning as well. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive extravagantly as you have been forgiven extravagantly. You are free. You are given a fresh start, a reset. So offer what you have received to others out of his love for you. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to share with one another today, even though it's online and it's, it's from far distances, Lord, we're just so thankful for our community here. And Lord, I just specifically pray for every person right now who has somebody on their heart. And, and I just pray for the courage and the consistency and the loyalty and the strength for them as they decide to take this step and forgive and release what they've held onto to you. Lord, I pray that you would just give us courage, that you would give us boldness, that we wouldn't shrink back from what you desire for us. You desire freedom, and I pray that you would grant us that freedom. Lord, I pray for every person watching right now that doesn't actually have a relationship with you. They've never received you in their heart. They've never asked for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would make it so clear to them that you have an incredible life for them. That all they have to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. I want you in my life. I want to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Lord, I just, I pray that you would be with all of those people that might be accepting you for the first time. 
fill their heart with just this overwhelming sense of assurance that they've been forgiven, that you know them, that you love them. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us. I pray that we would just continue to follow you. We would follow you in the hard places. We would follow you in the storms like COVID and that we wouldn't give up, but that in all of the areas of our lives, we would just be trusting you to give us the grace we need to forgive and let go and release to you and trust that you know what's best for us. We just trust all these things into your hands and we just know that you are meeting us where we are today and always. We love you, Jesus, in your name.